Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. From the Financial Times in London, this is FT Investigations. I'm Tom Burgess, one of the paper's investigations correspondents. Until Sunday evening, not many people outside the mysterious world of offshore finance had heard of Mossack Fonseca. Now everybody's talking about the Panamanian law firm after a leak of 11.5 million secret records exposed the offshore holdings of 12 current and former world leaders, among many others. The revelations by assorted media houses working with the International Consortium of Investigative Journalists expose a web of secret offshore companies that's allegedly been used to hide wealth, evade taxes and launder money. The Panama Papers, as they're being called, include some big names such as the Prime Minister of Iceland, Ukraine's billionaire president and the Saudi king. And there are also claims, slapped away, we should say, by the Kremlin, that the documents reveal the financial mechanisms that associates of Vladimir Putin use to move very large amounts of money around. Now, the role of tax havens and so-called offshore secrecy jurisdictions in facilitating corruption, tax evasion and money laundering has been attracting more and more scrutiny in recent years. You might call this the underbelly of the global financial system. And joining me to probe that underbelly are two people who knew all about offshore finance way before it became fashionable to go digging around in it. On the line from Berlin, where he's teaching, is Alex Cobham, who's head of research at the Tax Justice Network. And here with me in the studio is Vanessa Holder, who is the FT's tax correspondent. Alex, hello to you. Hi. Let's start with something simple. Why should we care about offshore finance? We should care because it is the face of global corruption. It is the sucking noise that you hear as tax revenues run away. It is the mechanism by which politicians engineer and hide conflicts of interest, by which companies of all sorts cheat their competitors and their consumers, but primarily because it is the basis for tax injustice. It is the basis on which rich elites and multinational companies are able, through that secrecy, to avoid paying their fair share. If that is so, if this is such a nefarious part of the global financial system, how was it that as recently as 10, 15 years ago, when when activists and campaigners were first starting to look at this, that it was regarded as almost an irrelevance, as an incredibly geeky or, or niche area? Do you remember those days? Happy days. Happy days. Look, when the Tax Justice Network was established formally in 2003, having been bubbling along for a little bit as the work of expert uh, economists and lawyers and accountants and practitioners, there was a sense that there just weren't enough people who really understood the kind of problems that were in that world. Periodically, every 10 years or so, some countries would get annoyed and there'd be a claim that we were going to shut down tax havens, but then nothing would happen. And in those first few years, the network put together policy proposals for public country-by-country reporting by multinationals to show where profits were being shifted for public registries of the beneficial ownership of companies so that everyone would know who owned companies. and the the, the, A registry of the true ownership, basically, right? Of who really owns these things, not the nominee directors, not the trust fund right. or whatever. Yeah, exactly. 
And then thirdly, for automatic exchange of information between jurisdictions to ensure that no one jurisdiction plays a role in hiding relevant information from the tax authorities or the regulators elsewhere. But when we went around the world talking to policymakers, even to relatively technical civil servants, for example, often the reaction you'd get wouldn't be, I don't agree with you. It would be, I don't know what you're talking about. And so we considered it a success when people started to say, I don't agree with you, because it meant we'd right. made progress. They knew the ideas. But then something has changed over the last few years. I mean, we think of cases like Jimmy Carr, the British comedian who was basically publicly vilified by David Cameron for engaging in some perfectly legal tax planning, as it gets called, and then did a mere culpa on Twitter, as, as one does, and changed his tax affairs. Something has happened to the zeitgeist, if you like, that makes us angry about this stuff, no? That's right. Before the crisis, there was a lot of great work done by development NGOs, particularly Christian Aid and Action Aid, who were telling this story. And you know, if you work in developing countries, it was always clear how big an issue this was. But it was only after the crisis that in high-income countries like the UK, you had the same sense of anger, the same urgency about what was basically a major tax injustice. And that's what Jimmy Carr felt. He was a, a symptom of something that had changed, that people really didn't think that was acceptable anymore. As you say, obviously, for a long time in developing countries, that argument's been made. We had Tabo and Becky recently leading a report in which I think the estimate was $50 billion a year drains out of Africa alone through accounting fiddles, a lot of them involving tax havens. And this has been gaining currency and generating more and more public anger for a while, Vanessa. But to read some of the coverage, you might think that financial secrecy has already been blown wide open. Well, Gordon Brown, I think, at the time of the G7 summit, said banking secrecy is dead. And at that time, it was a fairly minor change to the transparency rules. It did mean that some of these secretive jurisdictions started exchanging information on request. But you still kind of needed a smoking exchanging gun. Information on, so you could have a tax authority in one country asking, say, Liechtenstein, look, Mrs Holder, we believe, is squirrelling money away. Could you please... Yes, share information with us. Absolutely. Right. But you would need to have some reason to think that Miss Holder was squirrelling money illicitly away. You couldn't just go on a fishing exercise. And that... Which one? Which one? You're not, Vanessa. Which <laughs> well, anyway, <laughs> it was a great advance, but it still left tax authorities feeling very frustrated. And where we are now is on the cusp of something far, far more significant because from next year, you're going to start to see the automatic exchange of tax information. And this really could be a breakthrough. This is between every country in the world? So nearly every country. And this is where Panama comes in. Because Panama, where all the leaks have just come from. Panama, where all the leaks have just come from. Because there are four countries which are refusing to sign up to this new international norm as well as the US, which is an interesting outlier, but it's got some transparency rules of its own. So it's not seen in quite the same way as these four countries. And these four countries, Panama is the only significant financial centre amongst them. There's some tiny tax homes there, Vanuatu and Nauru, and Bahrain, which isn't a significant financial centre in the same way. So Panama has been one of the big holdouts. And what's so interesting about today's developments is that it may just put the extra pressure on Panama to make it fall in line. If Panama doesn't fall in line and sticks to the arguments that you sometimes hear about how there's a place in the world for financial secrecy, especially to help people in repressive countries keep their wealth safe, these are arguments we hear. If Panama doesn't fall into line, what happens to it? 
there is the scope theoretically for sanctions. There's always been this slight hesitance about Panama. It's a bit like Switzerland, people going back a long time and they were talking about why we were not going to see the end of financial secrecy in our lifetimes. They said, well, the two big places are Switzerland, they're Panama, they mentioned a few others as well. But they said the thing about Switzerland, it's got these crucial tunnels going through the mountains in the heart of Europe. They're in you know, a very significant position there. And the same with Panama with the canal. And so people thought, well, these are countries which can't easily be bullied. Because Panama could turn off the Panama Canal, effectively. <laughs> that always has been the view. So a little bit less susceptible to pressure than some other jurisdictions. However, if you're doing business with a bank or any entity really in a regime which isn't exchanging tax information freely, you're probably going to have to do a lot more due diligence. You're probably exposing yourself to regulatory risk. And so you may see that legitimate business ends up moving out of Panama if it persists in refusing to join this global crackdown opacity. But Alex, from what Vanessa's saying, it sounds as though this could be quite significant politically, this leak, and the fact that it happens to come from Panama. Now, next month in May in London, David Cameron is hosting an anti-corruption summit. I'm told that he wants that summit to be part of forming his legacy. He thinks this is very important stuff. What's on the table in that summit? What are the big points of contention between those who campaign for transparency and those who argue in favour of maintaining offshore finance? What would be your, your top two or three big wins that you think you could get from it? There's really only one, and it's this. The UK is now delivering on the leading commitment that it made in 2013 at the G8 to create a public register of the beneficial ownership of companies so that no longer will it be possible to do business as a UK entity while hiding your true ownership. What is on the table now is for the overseas territories and the Crown Dependencies to sign up. Jersey and Guernsey, isn't it, and various Caribbean islands, right? That's right, so including the British Virgin Islands, which, of course, from the Panama Papers, is by far and away the biggest jurisdiction used for anonymous companies by this particular law firm and has a global role that is of that scale. So the British Secrecy Network, which is the biggest in the world, you know, if we lumped them all together, then the UK and its network would come out very far at the top of our tax haven ranking, the Financial Secrecy Index. The UK itself doesn't look so bad, but it's that network. The UK responsibility now is to make sure that the actions that are being taken in the UK are extended to those jurisdictions. And I think this leak will really drive pressure on the government to require that from those territories. Vanessa, from what you gauge of the build-up to Cameron's summit, do you think this is going to be a defining moment in these many, many years of debate over financial secrecy and the role of offshore centres or not? I'm... On the sceptical side of this, clearly it's a real ambition for Cameron. He talked about removing the cloak of secrecy from these centres several years ago. And I think it's genuinely a theme that he cares a lot about. But it is very difficult. Now, these centres, A, they say that their systems are better than the UK because they actually verify the identities of people behind the companies. The UK is planning a register in which people will effectively self-report their identities. So uh, the overseas territories say you're not in a position to lecture us about this. And they also say that it's not the international standard. The G20 says you need to hold this information. It needs to be accurate. It needs to be up to date. But they don't... The ownership 
true ownership true ownership data yeah. but it doesn't necessarily need to be in a central registry and so they're saying well if you make us do this all that will happen is that legitimate business but it wants confidentiality it likes privacy will go to less savoury places and everyone will lose out and so they are digging in quite hard and I will be surprised if there's movement on it but clearly there is equally a lot of pressure as Alex has explained behind making them want to rethink. I'll just ask each of you a horrible question to end with. In 10 years will we be having more leaks like the Panama Papers or will we have arrived at some sort of sunlit uplands whereby beneficial ownership, multinational tax practices and all these things are completely open, a sort of global Sweden I suppose and the idea of corporate secrecy will be seen as some aberration from the past. Alex, are you an optimist about these things? I think I'm broadly in the sunlit uplands. I don't think we'll be all the way there, but I think we are rapidly coming to a point where respectable, legitimate businesses, from major multinationals to banks to indeed to wealthy and powerful individuals, simply consider it not worth the risk of being seen as tainted by financial secrecy. So I don't think all of this business will be closed down, but I think it will have become very firmly the province of those who operate on the margins. We won't see an HSBC in this sort of business. We won't see an Icelandic leading politician. We'll see smaller, dirtier business at the margins, which is the only place, if indeed there is a place for it, in the globalised world. And Vanessa, are we heading towards the Sunlight Uplands, including for your own substantial, secret, (laughs) illicit offshore accounts? I'd agree with Alex that the places to hide are getting fewer and fewer. One of the questions that's still not totally settled is whether the US will end up being a haven. It's sometimes described as New Switzerland. and Because of places like Delaware, right? Where you yes, they've had a, yes, millions of companies in the past have been created and there's no requirements at all for any of the identities to be collected or written down or anything like that. And so how far and how fast that changes will be critical. Fascinating thought to end on. This was FT Investigations. You can follow all our coverage of the Panama Papers and these offshore questions more broadly on FT.com. And you can listen to more of our podcasts at FT.com forward slash podcasts. The producer was Fiona Simon. Thanks for listening. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Here at Bellingcat, we get to the bottom of things. From a global crisis to an underreported event, we find the facts using publicly available tools and resources, uncovering what is hidden on and below the surface. We connect the dots using social media posts, satellite images, and public records, and empower others to do the same by sharing how we do it. The ability to do so is only made possible by our readers, supporters, and community members. Care to join us? Learn how at bellincat.com.